All right. So we are continuing our series on God's Not Read, looking at some of the different Bible stories. And we're kind of taking this whole year to look at different stories throughout the Bible. So we started looking at our own stories and how God's been working in our lives. And now we're looking at the written stories in the Bible. So this morning, I'm going to start by reading our story for the day, which is found in Genesis 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits bear, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, and each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, accord, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let, eat, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps upon, on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its root. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work on the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good, bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gahon. It is the one that flowed around the whole river, oh, the whole river, the whole land of Cush. <laughs> and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and had brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your creative work that we get to talk about this morning. And I pray that um, your spirit would speak through me and would communicate what you want us to get out of this passage and what you were trying to communicate to us when you started your Bible this way. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're continuing in this God's Not Read sermon series. And as we go through each of these different stories, there's two things that we want to focus on. And the first is we want to know what each of these stories how they fit into sort of the systematic story, the meta-narrative, or the systematic theology of the Bible as a whole. And then we also want to look more specifically at what each of these stories tell us about God, about the nature and character of God. So when we're looking at creation, this is really our first introduction to God and to his character and what our place is in his world. So there's, there's these two different stories in creation that we're going to talk about. And they first present God as grand, majestic, and orderly, and then also give us a more personable glimpse at him. So before we get too much into it, I want to make sure I am referencing things appropriately. So the more scholarly sources that I used were the Introduction to the Hebrew Bible, the Cultural Background Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary, and then I also used, where's the pause button? There it is. 
Um, I also use the City Church position paper on women in leadership. And then, finally, I have to make sure I reference my amazing husband, Ken, because some of, some of what I'm going to talk about has come from his own explaining of the creation story to me. Hi, honey. So as we look at the book of Genesis, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on it before we really jump into these stories. So Genesis um, is, comes from a word that means origins, and it's, it's our first look at, at God's work and his first introduction to the rest of the Bible and what he's doing. When it comes to authorship, this is a bit debated, so I put Moses with a question mark. That's kind of traditionally who we think wrote it. But as, as I read those two different creation stories, you can tell there's two very different literary voices, even in just those first two chapters. So there's some scholarly debate about who exactly was the author or authors of Genesis, whether it was a compilation of different authors that kind of came together into this one book. Um, but Moses, question mark, there might be a few more other people that contributed to the book of Genesis. And as we're looking at the literary style, it's a history book, but it's in literary form. And so uh, around the time that we think it was written is, is kind of in the Mesopotamian time. And there's a lot of similarities between how the book of Genesis tells its stories and sort of the Mesopotamian uh, hero stories and epics of the day. So like you think of um, the Gilgamesh epics as something that it sort of mirrors in, in literary style, speaking to the people of the day. You know, this is, this is our story, telling it in a way that they would be familiar with. So it's, a, it's kind of a collection of hero stories, and it's these episodic tales that are focused on a central character with some genealogies thrown in the mix for good measure. While most of the book is written in sort of narrative prose, when we look at the creation story, it's something that's called exalted prose, so it's sort of a step up. And the goal of the book of Genesis overall is to orient the reader to the rest of the Bible and to... Uh, there's a typo. And to explain in story form the nature and character of God and then man's place in his creation. So there's kind of these two different creation stories that you heard. One is the majestic ordering of the universe, and then the second takes a more personal glimpse at the image bearers and at the creation of the image bearers. So we're going to start with the first one, with the majestic ordering of the universe, which is really identified as Genesis 1-1 through 2-4, if you are following along. So this is really the opening act to this grand narrative of the book of Genesis and then also the Bible. So you have this dramatic in the beginning, right? And that's a very dramatic way to open up a book and to open up uh, this story. In fact, we see that paralleled again in John 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things remained through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John is kind of borrowing that same sort of language to be able to introduce the story of Christ. And we can see that parallel between both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we're talking about creation and we're looking at what it means to create, we have to talk a little bit both about the word that's used here, and then also what it means to bring something into existence. So the Hebrew word that's used here is bara, and it means to create. And the only time that it's used in the Bible, it's, it's used more than just in the book of Genesis, but it always has God as the actor. So man is never 
the one who is bara-ing within the Bible. It always belonged to God. And the objects of the verb consistently point to a functional existence. So when we look at what it means to bring something into existence, now we talk more about something that's material. This exists because I can touch it, or something exists because we can experience it. So when you think of like time or love, they exist because we experience them. This stand exists because I can knock on it or tip it over. I exist because you can both experience being in a relationship with me and because you can punch me and I would be something solid that would fight back. Then, in the time that Genesis was written, to exist was really more about having a function or having a role to play. So then when you look back at this Hebrew word, bara, the other places that it's used are uh, heavens and earth. It describes those two different things. To bara, man, Israel, the cloud and the smoke, north and south, salvation and righteousness, speech, wind, a new heart. All of these things are there's something physical, but they're really more about assigning function. So especially when you think about, you know, north and south, those are two different things that have a function and have a functional purpose and an order to them. So as we're looking at the first part of the creation story in Genesis, it's not, the, the way that the readers at the time would have understood it was more about the function of the different things that God is speaking into existence and not as much about their physicality. So that's something that's going to be a little bit different. So if you think about this, this dramatic beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So you have this, this essence without form and without void. It doesn't have a function. It doesn't have a purpose. There's no order to it. And God said... And so then God starts this series of speaking different things into existence throughout the different, or into order, throughout the different days of creation. And if, if you think about the significance of God speaking this, have you ever met someone who can create order simply by speaking? Their words hold a lot of weight and a lot of authority. Someone who can take a chaotic situation, like Holly with a room of chaotic children, and her voice can break through it and bring order out of that, that holds authority, and that holds weight. So as we're starting out the book of Genesis this way, not only is God orderly, majestic, grand, but his words carry a lot of authority and a lot of weight, because they have this grand power to take something formless, void, without function, and turn it into something orderly that has a function and a purpose and a role to play. So as we're starting out the Bible, this is God setting up, look, my words, they have authority. So when I speak, you better listen. And then if we look at Genesis 3, the first thing that Satan is recorded to attack are the words of God. Did God really say? So keep that kind of in the back of your mind because that's, that's how God is, is starting out his story that's recorded in the Bible. And that's how God is setting himself up as someone whose words mean something and are authoritative. And that's also the first thing that Satan attacks. So as we look at, at the creation and account and the order that's being formed here and the function that's being assigned here, we go through several different days of creation and several, several different cycles. So you start with day one, the separation of the light and the darkness. And then day two is the separation of the waters. And this is kind of strange to our understanding of, of science and, and how the earth works. But at the time, there's this 
understanding that the sky was solid and there was water above it and water then on the ground below it. And so if you think of the sky as solid and all the rain kind of sitting above, that's sort of the understanding that they had of how, how the sky worked and how earth worked. Now our scientific understanding of it is different, but we still have the separation of sky. There's, there's above the sky and then there's what's functioning and going on down below on earth. Then you have the dry land. So day three, there's kind of two different spots. There is the dry land, so there's the separation of the water and the dry land, and then there's the creation of vegetation and the function of things growing and coming up and sprouting. So if you think back to the, the Krebs cycle and the photosynthesis cycle and all those lovely things that we learned about in biology, this is when all of that was set up on, on day three of creation. And then we have on day four, the sun and the moon and the stars and the separation of all that and the assigning of their function and their role in determining seasons and signs and light. And then we have on the next day, the water and the air creatures. And then on the final day where God had um, creative work that he was doing, we also have both the land creatures and then humans as well. So there's very specific language that's used when God is creating the humans, right? Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. We have dominion, so it sets up both that we are the image bearers of God and then also what our function is. But in, in the time that this, so in the, the culture, in the time that this was first uh, recorded, in the ancient Near East, the image was believed to contain the essence of that which it represented, which equipped the image to carry out its function. So the king in that time was also often said to bear the image of a deity. So God is setting man up as image bearers, reflecting his essence and having what we need to be able to fulfill our purpose, which is to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. That's why I put spiders that have dominion over them. So we are symbols of God's presence and we act on his behalf as representatives. We're given the responsibility of bringing order to the world, a reflection of God's original creative purpose. So then, on the final, after all of this is done, day seven, God rests, and he sets up this, this um, concept of Sabbath and taking a rest day after the creative work of the rest of the week that happened. So this, this is the first part of creation, the majestic ordering of, of the world and of the universe and everything that's in it. And then after this, we go in to part two of creation. And it's a different sort of literary tone and a different kind of voice that's used here that takes a closer look at the image bearers and then also a more personable side of God. Because if all you had was the first part of creation, God seems like this majestic, orderly, standoffish, I don't even want to approach him. And then in the second part of the creation story, it's bringing him and making him more personable and showing that he doesn't just set up the order in his creation, but he also continues to interact with it and is more personable than what the sort of the first half of creation would sh show him to be. So we start with this image of the sovereign transcendent deity and then complement it with a telling of God who is both imminent and personal. So he forms man. He breathes the breath of life into his nostrils, and then he continues to speak with the man throughout this second part of, of the creation story. So we, we form the image bearer, and then 
it goes on um, to tell a little bit more to the story and take a little bit closer look at that. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and had brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So it's important to look at this concept of names in the ancient world to really have a better understanding of this passage. So a name really identified the essential nature of that creature. And in the process of giving a name, that was assigning that creature their function and decreeing their destiny. So it very much creates this implication of authority. If you are assigning something its function and trying to determine its destiny, you have authority over that thing that you are naming. It's really the first step in man subduing and ruling the earth, and then also as part of our image bearer. We're reflecting God's creativity by creating order and function within creation as he has designated for us to do. So it's one of our first reflections of God's creativity. And then, as Adam is going through and he's giving all these creatures their function and their name and assigning them uh, what their role is going to be within creation, there's not really a helper that's found suitable for him. So, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So ladies, how many of you have ever heard this passage used as a way to say we are subordinate to men? Yep. What if I told you that's not how this was originally read? <laughs> so part, part of that comes from later exposition in the Bible about this passage. So we have 1 Corinthians 11, which is kind of tied into this often. For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. I've never really understood that because of the angels thing. But then in the very next verses, Paul continues and says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Woman is not a footnote in creation. She is the climax of creation. Adam has gone through each of these creatures, and there has not been a helper that is suitable for him. So then God creates woman. She's not the afterthought. She's not the footnote. She is the final creative act that God does within his creation, and that is the climax of creation, not a footnote. Thank you, Ken, for that, <laughs> that phrase. <laughs> so when we, look back, when we look back at how Adam describes Eve in that first bit, there's He's saying that she is of my essence. This is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You are the same thing that I am. She is Adam's ally in this sacred space, his ally and his partner in creating and fulfilling the creative work that God has set out for us to do in creation. In Genesis, the emphasis is not on her being subservient or her being subordinate. It is on the closeness of their bond as the first two humans trying to fulfill God's plan within this world that he has created. Also, helper is not synonymous with subservient, because God is also called man's helper within the Bible. And I don't think any of us would say that that is trying to say that God is subservient to us. Also, you know how we talked about names being important and being a designation of authority? Eve was not named until after the fall. That 
authority and that name was not instituted until after sin had been introduced to the world. So that's, that's not how God set it up to be. I'll say it again to the people in the back. Woman is not a footnote in creation. She is the climax. <laughs> so as we wrap it all up, as we look at kind of these two different creation accounts, how does creation tie into the meta-narrative and general systematic theology of the Bible? It's our introduction to God and the work that he's doing and the work that he has done. It sets up the role of humanity as image bearers who also do creative and ordering work. And what does it show us about the nature and character of God? He is majestic. He is orderly. He is authoritative. His words carry some weight. Yet he is also personable and invested in his creation. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the work and the function um, that you did as creator and that you continue to do and how we continue to see your creative spirit. I thank you for um, the order that you set up, that scientists spend a lifetime studying one small part of the order that you just spoke into existence in a moment, in an instant. And I thank you for that and I praise you for that. And I pray that we would use um, the story of creation in the way that you intended for it to be used, that we would see it as establishing our role within, within your world and within what you've created, and also that we would, we would see the way that our fellow image bearers reflect you and reflect your creative spirit. And I pray this all in your name. Amen.